Hello, beautiful alchemist. Welcome to Reiki Radio. I am your host, Yolanda. And today we have a beautiful, beautiful discussion with someone who is now my new friend. His name is Troy Hadid. And if you are someone in the yoga community, you may already be familiar with Troy and his work. He has some beautiful yoga videos on Gaia.com, but he also has his own online yoga classes at beyondyogatv.com. And he just speaks so eloquently about the wisdom of yoga. And that's what I wanted to talk to him about today. Um, a lot of us, you know, we have ideas of what yoga may be, and we often just think of the asanas when yoga comes to mind. But I heard Troy uh, speak, he has a YouTube channel as well. And he gave a lecture for some corporation. And the way that he spoke about our relationship to mind, body and breath, and even our relationship to our purpose it was so inspiring that I thought, okay, absolutely have to have him come on the podcast and share these points of view, share and have this conversation for all of us. So I'm sure that you will find something in here that is inspiring to you. It was a great conversation. And I'm very thankful that Troy made the time to come meet with us today. You can learn more about Troy and his work at troyhadid.com. That's Troy. Hadid is spelled H-A-D-E-E-D.com. So check out his work and I will see you on the other side of the interview. Okay, everyone, we are here today with Troy Hadid. And I want to tell you, I was telling you just before we began, I'm really looking forward to hearing about your perspective around yoga and what we can learn in the deeper layers of this. But I want to just first thank you so much for even taking the time for this conversation today. Yeah, well, thank you. Because, um, you know, what what people like yourself do is give people like me a voice and, and exposure. And uh, same with you to take your time and to have me on your show as well and bring me to your listeners is um, a great privilege and I am honored. Yeah, me too. I mean, I think that's one of my favorite things I always say, just the fact that we get to learn in yeah. exchange. But now with technology, it just opens the world up for um, so much of us to have expansion in our consciousness. Yeah. But the beauty of you that I have seen, <laughs> and I've only been exposed to so very little, um, it seems like with what you share and your philosophy and your teachings, helps us to have a broader understanding of like the wisdom of yoga going far beneath the surface of what we may understand or perceive it to be, especially yeah. here in the West. And so before we get into um, some of the things that I've heard you express that I would love to go deeper into, can you just share a bit of how you even got on this path and connection with yoga? Yeah. You know, um, Yolanda, it's so, um, such a tricky question because even a question like that, um, we have to look at, well, how do we define yoga yes. or a path of yoga? So I didn't start really practicing postures or asana uh, probably till I was about 24 years old. Mm -hmm. 
My first influence of yoga as a Eastern spiritual tradition was probably at 14 years old. And that story is pretty interesting as well, which I might share with you now. But when I actually began to understand what yoga really is, well, I, I understood the teachings of yoga from a really young age. And, you know, growing up in a, in a Catholic home and um, in, in and around organized religion, in, when they frame the teachings of Christ and the teachings of Jesus, at a young age, I moved out of that. And I realized that they had no box around that. Mm -hmm. And I began to remove the box of, of anything associated with God or Jesus or any of that. But what I'm getting at is in my coming to understand what the true ultimate teachings of yoga are, those are the teachings I learned as a child, as the teachings of Jesus. Uh, so when, when someone asked me, well, when did you first encounter yoga? I can tell you when I first encountered yoga as yoga, or I can tell you when I first encountered yoga as the, the true lifestyle of an embodiment of love, that, that understanding of interconnectedness rather than our separateness. Um, and I think that, to me, was first brought into my life through the teachings of this man called Jesus. Whether someone believes he's a man or a legend or whether he existed or he didn't exist, to me, none of that is important. What is important was his teachings. Right. The teachings that come through that, that, that label or that, that image, you know, if you like. But to answer your question, because it is a really interesting story, for about 15 plus years, people have been asking, well, how did you find yoga? And I always say, well, yoga kind of found me. And I remember... Every lunchtime in high school, I used to go up and I used to sit with this teacher who would give me all these texts to read. His name was Mr. Guidine. I don't know why I did that, but every, I would give up every lunchtime. And I always said that I hoped one day I could encounter or meet Mr. Guidine again. I haven't seen him since 1994, so that I could tell him how he may have influenced my life. And a few years ago, I got a a comment on my website that came into my email and said, I think I gave you practice of Brahmacharya to read in 1994, Fatima College, S. I was like, what? So I couldn't believe it. So I replied to him and I got his number and I called him. And the first thing he says, said to me is, Troy, let me get your story straight for you. He said, you were sent to detention. He said, that's how you first came into my room at lunchtime. And he said, I gave you the practice of brahmacharya to read as a joke because it was a text on sexual conduct and you were a 14-year-old boy, so I thought it was funny. And he said, I devoured the text. And then every lunchtime of my own free will, I came to detention to read more texts and more texts and more texts. And he says to me, I don't even practice yoga. I'm not even of a Hindu background. I know nothing about yoga. I gave you a text to read as a joke. And 
he goes on for that to say how I found, how he discovered me was that he's now teaching in Ontario, Canada. And he was telling his this story about Troy Hadi, this 14-year-old boy. And um, his class Googled my name and said, do you know he's an international yoga teacher? And he was like, what? Because <laughs> he had no clue, right? And he says, you know, he says, Troy, you've been talking about me for 15 plus years. I've been talking about you for 20 years as this 14-year-old kid who impressed me so much. And we haven't even had a word of communication. Wow. So look at the synchronicity in that. You know, um, so that, that's how I say that yoga, packaged as yoga, right. first found me. That is amazing. That is a, an amazing story. But another thing you said that struck me was um, just how the idea or how it is that we do yoga, first of all, is very yeah. significant in terms of when it is your practice began. And when you said about the how yoga really paralleled the teachings of Jesus, it made me think of how so many philosophies point to that same thing. They're all pointing to the same thing. Yeah. And oftentimes we just get so caught up in, you know, wanting to be on our rightness or choosing the right character and all these other elements that don't even matter outside of what it's all pointing to. And when you said that, it reminded me, I read a quote that you have about how for you, I mean, yoga really does point to this connection to love and to um, our own understanding of whatever God may be. Yeah. And I just thought that was so beautiful. And even with what you're saying now in your story, I'm just curious, was it, how did this realization come to you? Was it that you were studying and reading some of these texts and it, a light bulb went off or was it even part of just you trying to live into the practice that this awareness started to emerge for you? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it comes with commitment to study and practice yeah. and, and understanding. You know, for me, Christ is my biggest teacher. I don't mm -hmm. connect very much to organized religion. Mm -hmm. But the teachings of this man called Jesus, to me, he was the greatest yogi that ever walked the planet. And to understand yoga is to understand that there is no separateness. So the narrative we've been told is I am Troy and you are Yolanda. And we're told that narrative from the day we are born. But to me, the teachings and embodiment of both Christ and yoga is that there is no separateness. There is no Yolanda and Troy. These are labels we have given to our human experience. But in reality, the practice is to be able to see God in all things and in everyone, even that which appears as darkness, even that which causes us suffering and pain. These are our teachers. We have come in human form to in some way to evolve and grow and transform. I think where we get, um, I don't know if I'm going off track here, but where we get a little confused is that, you know, because of this narrative we're told from the day we're born, I am Troy, this is my body. I am Troy, this is my body. We say there's, there's more after physical form. We say that, but we don't live like that. 
we live like we are our bodies and that after my body ceases to exist, so will I. And that is not a narrative I try, I abide to. That's not a narrative I connect to. And I think that is both the teaching of yoga and the teachings of Jesus. It's, it's about being in relationship to our ego, to our identity, to our sense of individual self. Being in relationship to it, not being overcome by it. Right. Because if I am overcome by that, then what I'm saying unconsciously is that when my body ceases to exist, I will cease to exist. And what then happens is all of my decisions and choices are now governed by self-preservation. Yes. Does That's that make very, sense? No, it makes all the sense in the world. But even when you're saying this, because I did want to ask you about I saw you speaking about relationship to mind and the importance of us coming into relationship to our minds. But because of what you just said, it also made me think of that is that where that connection is, right? So you are in the body. I see Troy in front of me and I may be in this vessel over here, Yolanda, but that unifying connection where there is no separation between us, that unseen can only be realized through like our perspective and through that aspect of what we may all call consciousness or one mind. So it makes sense that the relationship to mind would be so prominent because how could I see the world any other way if I don't start there? And how can yeah. I even recognize how I identify me if I don't start there or what me means, right? So yeah. can I ask you a bit about that? Because again, a lot of times we think of yoga, we just think asana. So yeah. could you talk a bit about this relationship to mind and even how that has become such a point of focus for you, the importance around that? Yeah, absolutely. I'll say first off, especially for those um, listening who are familiar with the practice of yoga and have this understanding of what it might look like a little bit in their eyes. I say this to people all the time, Yolanda, if I did not believe that the practice of yoga increased our capacity to love one another and deepened our relationship to our understanding of God for each individual, I would walk away from it right now. Because not that anything is wrong with practices like maybe Zumba or Pilates or aerobics or whatever, or spin, nothing's wrong with that. It's just not what I want to bring to the world, right? Personally, it's not what connects to me. And I say that because, you know, the very first two teachings of yoga says that yoga is now. And Sutra 1.2 says that yoga is the quieting of the fluctuations of the mind. And what I want to put a finger on here is above and beneath everything, what the practice of asana does if practiced in an, a very intentional, graceful, concentrated way, is that it deepens our relationship to our mind. And when we deepen that relationship to our mind, the mind is the most powerful thing there is. It is the, the wall behind me right now I would call yellow. And you might somewhat agree with me, yellow or white. 
But I always say to people, and you would have heard this in my presentation that you looked at, but if I said it was red, somebody might call me colorblind or crazy, but the reality is if I believe it is red, it is red. And, you know, we don't often have a relationship to mind. So mind is reactive, emotionally reactive. The mind is conditioned. Everything we've been told our entire life adds the conditioning of our mind, which dictates our reality. Not just our, our reality of people and place, of places and things, but our reality of people. If I met someone who told me Yolanda was X, Y, and Z, well then, and I choose to believe Yolanda is X, Y, and Z, then I might never get a chance to really see and meet a real Yolanda yeah. experience for myself. And, um, you know, furthermore, suppose that somebody did something to me that really hurt me and it was painful. Say his name was Jim. That was five years ago. If I allow my mind to attach to that experience and put Jim in a box, then I am robbing myself of experiencing Jim's growth and I'm robbing him of the possibility of growth. So it's not that the mind isn't important. The mind is extremely important. The ego is extremely important. But I love to describe the mind like a, put it this way, it's like a marriage. It's like an eternal lover, an eternal partner, but there's no separation and there's no divorce. This is your ride or die. Mm -hmm. And if I was in a intimate, if I was in a relationship for the rest of my life with my partner, the one thing necessary to make that relationship holistic and loving is intimacy. Intimacy comes from listening to your partner. It comes from it comes from understanding your partner. And your mind is no different. But what happens in the world today is that no one's spending time with their minds. You know, somebody might call this meditation. It could be meditation, it could be asana practice, it could be surfing, it could be playing golf, it could be gardening. But more importantly, to really sit and spend time doing nothing with your mind. Just listening to what the mind has to say and trying to understand where do our emotions come from? Where are these feelings coming from? Because if we don't understand the mind and we keep neglecting our mind, think of it like neglecting a partner, neglecting a child. All our mind wants is our attention. All our mind wants is to be heard. And if we don't create a space to acknowledge our emotions, acknowledge our mind, well, it has to scream and shout to get our attention. And that's why we now live in a world with so much anxiety and so much depression and so much of these mental disorders that we label. But at the very root of it, I mean, I'm not saying there aren't other contributing factors. Of course, there are major factors. But we have to begin to cultivate a more intimate relationship with our minds. Because our minds in every way 
dictate our reality of our experience of people, our experience of life in any moment. You know, and there's um there's an amazing yoga teacher, BKS Ayinga, who's no longer in his body. But he used to say that mind is king of everything, but breath is king of mind. And the one thing that can really tame and nurture and cultivate this relationship to our minds is our breath. But then most people don't even know how to breathe properly. So that's a whole different issue. Yeah, well, it's a yeah. it's a fascinating topic. And actually, um, listening to you, I'm thinking of my relationship to yoga, my encounters with yoga throughout life and what sparked it and what the reasonings were. But I love the way that you're describing this relationship to mind because I think it'll help a lot of us soften around the idea of just being observant of ourselves because we have of course the whole um, practice of meditation but we all have a lot of ideas around that and then there's a lot of judgment of like oh I can't shut my mind off and I can't sit still for that just there's a lot right that will be in contrast to actually just just sitting with ourselves as you're describing, and just being an observation of the mind itself. So I love the way that you describe it, because it it does, it seems like it, it, it's almost like a a gateway to invite people in to just an avenue of being in relationship with themselves. Yeah, you know, and I say to people all the time, Yolanda, because you hear that nonstop, right? I can't shut my mind up. Mm -hmm. Well, would you ever come home and tell your partner or your spouse to shut up? No, right. you, you'll sleep on the doorstep. <laughs> so why why do you want to shut your mind up? We don't want to do that. In mind's essence, in mind's natural state is to create. We just need to listen, you know. And and um, what comes to mind here from what comes to mind here for me is I experienced um when I did my first vipassana retreat. And I think anybody who did a Vipassana may have had a very similar experience, but a Vipassana is 10 days of silence. And the first five days for me was absolute torture. It was agonizing, right? And what what was plaguing my mind? All of my thoughts sounded like this. My girlfriend was cheating on me. My business was going bankrupt. I was 25 years old, sitting on a cushion for 10 days while my friends were surfing and having a good time. And my grandmother was going to die. All these things, none of them were real, by the way. But these were things that my mind created. And and because I kept going, they kept coming at me and I had no relationship to them, they created a very uncomfortable negative experience. And then about halfway through, there was a guide and a guide said something that brought me to recognize that all of these thoughts were based on fear. They were all fear driven. And the second I could understand where these thoughts were coming from, I knew within myself that I didn't want to live my life governed by fear. I wanted to live my life governed by love. So as long as I understood these thoughts and emotions, I now had a relationship to them. They no longer had the same power over me. I wouldn't tell you they never came back. Of course they came back, but they were a lot softer. And I now understood them. So they didn't have to scream and shout the way they did before. When they would show up, 
I knew where they were coming from. I knew it wasn't real, and I could gently push it aside. And I think that's a great example of what we experience in our lives with anxiety and overthinking and overworrying and all this stuff. If we take a moment to just be with our thoughts and try to understand where these emotions and thoughts are coming from, then we could call BS on them because we know they aren't true. Yes. You know? I would love to talk a second too about how breath comes into play because I, 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 I want to hear your, um, your point of view on this, but you remind me of as well. There was a time, uh, one, the, my first encounter with yoga was just, I was very, I was in a very stressful time in my life. I think I was like 26. I don't know. It seemed like the world was crumbling. And for whatever reason, I went to a yoga class and I literally went every single day, seven days a week. And I went for months until, you know, life shifted. And then I stepped away. And then years later, probably 10 years later, um, I started all of these practices, learning how to meditate and all of these things. And then it came to me one day, go to yoga teacher training to learn how to breathe. And I was like, learn how to breathe. <laughs> so like, I breathe, right? So it was um, it was a, a interesting experience. But in any case, what you're just sharing reminded me of this one time I did this um, meditation kind of retreat of sorts. But we were literally in and out of meditation all day from morning until early evening. And it's like you yeah. sit, you get up and walk in silence, sit. And I remember on one of the days I was irritated. I was just like, I am done. So internally, because we're in silence, my mind is screaming like, oh, God, like I just wanted to crawl out of my body. I was sick of sitting. I was sick of being in silence. I was sick of the whole experience. And I and then it hit me all of this disturbance that my mind, my the story and my head was causing me to feel so uncomfortable in my body. Yeah. And there was just this moment of like, wait a minute, take a breath. And I had to remember, I enjoy meditation, actually. I actually enjoy doing this. And so I had to start to have this whole different conversation with myself. But then it totally transformed how I was feeling in my body. And that that experience, anyway, it left an impression with me. But it reminds me a lot of what it is that you're sharing. But I would yeah. love if you could um, share a little bit about how breath comes in and is in yeah. such a deep relationship to mind. Yeah, you know, um, in, the, in the West, I wouldn't say used to because I realized that in the, in the West and even in the medical world, they are still acting as if the physical, mental, emotional, spiritual body are separate. Right even though science has proven otherwise. Mm -hmm. Science has actually proven how intertwined it is, you know, and the amazing doctors like Dr. Gabo Mate and so on that are speaking and teaching on these things and trying to drive this shift in the medical world. Like doctors need to stop treating the human being as separate parts, right? But with that said, the mind and the physical body they are directly interconnected. And the breath, of course, all intertwined. And the example I use to try and make this more digestible, digestible to people is this. If you're stressed at work or in your relationship, 
what you find is your body starts to ache. Your body gets tight and contracted. And then you start to breathe faster. And then you get more anxious and more stressed. So you go for a massage, which is a physical treatment according to what a massage, a box of a massage. You go for massage and you release physical tension, but then you feel emotionally and mentally less stressed and you actually start to breathe better. So on a very basic level, that we should connect the dots and acknowledge that, okay, they aren't separate. They are very interconnected, right? And, and the, it's not that they have, it's not that they can communicate with each other. It's that they have no choice but to, right? It's not that the body and the mind can communicate and can impact one another. They have no choice but to. They are intertwined. They are not separate at all. And it's funny, Yolanda, that you say you, you got this, this voice or you led to go to teacher training to learn how to breathe. Because I tell people all the time, I had already done two teacher trainings when I learned how to breathe. I wasn't even taught how to breathe properly in teacher training. They would tell you to breathe. They would tell you to breathe. They would tell you to lengthen the inhale, maybe, or lengthen the exhale. But no one actually taught me or showed me how the anatomy of breath actually worked. And I think I may have been 27 when I was doing an online course with an amazing teacher called Leslie Kamenoff. I think it's, it's, um, he's out of New York and his website is Breathing Network or something. Um, but that's when I first learned how to breathe. And I was absolutely shocked. I was like, why has no one taught this to me Mine, for 27 years? Yeah. And then I began to realize, because they, most people don't know. No one knows. We, we, we're under this impression that breath is automatic. It's just something that happens automatically. So I tell people all the time, you know, breathing, living automatically, you can sit on a couch for 50 years and eat potato chips. You're still living. But living and living with intention is two different things. And breathing, and breathing with intention and being in relationship to breath, that's the same, it's the same thing. The difference between the two are just as profound. And when I came to understand how breath work, I'll try and share with, with listeners really quickly and share with you, is that I began to understand through the anatomy of breath. This is a medical anatomy of breath. This is not some yoga mumbo jumbo. That we do not pull air into our body. That is not how we inhale. How we inhale is that we breathe into our thoracic cavity, which is from our diaphragm, just below our ribcage, up to our chest. Imagine your chest and your lungs kind of like a box. And inside that box has a set air pressure. And when we expand the volume of that box, your ribcage moves left to right, the diaphragm moves down into the belly region, the chest lifts, the back expands. 
when we expand the volume of that box, the air pressure inside of us decreases. That's a rule of physics, right? Volume and air pressure are inversely related. The other rule of nature, one of the laws of nature, is that gases move from high pressure to low pressure. So that when I expand the volume of my body, because I know some listeners can't see my hand movements, but when I expand the volume of my thoracic cavity and the air pressure inside of me decreases, that now means that the air pressure outside is higher than the air pressure inside. So now that air moves into me to create balance and equilibrium. So the way I, I really love to describe it is that we do not breathe. We do not pull air into our body. We create space to be breathed by an external force. And the same force breathing you in the US is breathing me right now in the Caribbean. And it's the same force breathing all of our listeners. So that to me was profound. I was like, wow, I don't, breath is the same thing, like mind, breath is a lover, like, like breath is making love to me. I just have to create space to receive a breath. And the more space I can create, the more breath I can receive. And the more I can breathe, the more I can influence my emotional and mental states with my breath. But get this, if my physical body is tight and the muscles of my body are tight, then I can't expand to receive breath the way I should be expanding. Because all our muscles and our connective tissue and fascia of our body, I describe it like a wetsuit. Our entire body is like in a wetsuit of muscle and fascia. And if those are tight and constricted, then I can't expand my rib cage and create space to receive breath. So it becomes this vicious cycle. So on a very basic level, practicing asana releases physical tension on the body, which now allows the body to breathe, which then influences mental and emotional states. You know, yeah, it's, it's like, it's, it's, you know, and we can talk about this, Yolanda, for hours. Yes, right? no, we really could. But try yeah. the, but the way that you describe it, uh, it's one in a lot of ways it feels very poetic, but you can feel what you're saying. So I think people listening can also, we're simultaneously experiencing the way that you are describing. I feel like the body can't help but to even respond to the beautiful way that you're describing it. And, you know, because I, I can't, I would have never thought of breath that way. But I have to tell you this, you're just reminding me years ago, um, I had an opportunity to meet this man, I think his name is Steve, but he had the uh, Guinness Book of World Records for it. He's a free diver, but he can hold his breath like unusually, like for extremely long times. And they even did a show like a natural geographic, like one of these shows where they hooked him yeah. up to all these things to understand how he was capable of breathing the way that he does or even stopping his breath the way that he does. But he wrote a book and do you know the majority of it was focused on yoga? Yeah. Yoga, that was a big part of his practice and a big part of what he teaches in terms of teaching people how to breathe. And I completely yeah. forgot about that until listening to how 
you just described this, but yeah, that is so it's it's amazing. Um, but I I want to make sure because time goes by so quick. I want to make sure to also ask you about because I heard you speak about something else as well. With what you're describing and this relationship to mind, body, and breath, it sounds like we couldn't help but have an experience of presence in all of this. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that really does keep some of us up at night and takes the mind off into the tangent is that whole idea of purpose. Yeah. When we bump against like, why am I here? Am I doing enough? Am I helping the world? What is my purpose? And I saw that you spoke so beautifully about it um, again on the uh, video that I saw. But one of the things you said is that every moment has purpose and to be present in our purpose. So I wanted to know if you could just share a little bit more about that for everyone listening, because I think it would be very helpful. Yeah, you know, um, and all this stuff, Yolanda, wow, I have good response for some reason. All this, um, all this stuff is so intertwined, right? Mm-hmm. So it comes back again to mind. It comes back to breath. It comes back to everything. And I think we, this, this narrative, you know, I often say that the entire world is in an identity crisis because we, we believe that our physical form is who we are. Right. And with that, I mean, that could be a whole next discussion. But with that becomes a plethora of narratives that we attach to. And that is what drives, well, what is my my purpose as an individual? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I contributing to the world or whatever it is, right? And it's important to just acknowledge that if we are present in every moment, there's a difference between a thinking mind and feeling. It's a very different thing. I, you know, in my book, I describe the voices of the mind and the voices of the heart. And the voices of the mind are ego-based. Not just my ego, but it's also concerned about your perception of me. It's also concerned and influenced by all these social voices of everyone else's ego that tells me what I should do, how I should live, and what I should say and think. All of those are egoic voices of the mind. The they, voices of the mind from hundreds of years ago are still present and influencing us today. But when we can quiet the voices of the mind, there's the voice of the heart. And that's a sense of knowing. That's, that's where no one can question that voice. Sometimes your mind does. And it's up to you which voice you listen to. But the voice of the heart is, I like to say, is tuned to the resonance of God. You know, and for some of us, you know, we have all these stories about divinity in whatever form speaking to people. That voice never stopped. We just stopped listening. And um, 
I do believe that the voice of God and divinity still speaks to not just me. It's not that I'm special and I hear, I hear it. Speaks to all of us. But in order to hear that in any moment, we must be able to at least quiet the voices of your mind. Then you have to have the courage to follow a voice of your heart. And that voice of your heart in every moment might tell you to do something different. It might lead you to do something different. It might even lead you into the most uncomfortable, painful experience of your life. But that doesn't mean it was the wrong voice. That was what you had to experience to facilitate your own growth and evolution. Or maybe you laid yourself down to be a tool for someone else's growth and transformation. Right. But, but I believe that when we get stuck in a mindset of what people think, what I should do, how do I prove myself, how do I make myself worthy, then we stop, we, we get a little disconnected from this feeling, this knowing, this, this voice of God. And I believe that if we are present in every moment and discover our purpose in every individual moment, rather than focusing on a large, large grand purpose that is some kind of hope and dream for our lives, if we focus on that dream, we'll miss all the individual moments of purpose in our life that are like stepping stones. And then if we are present to every moment of purpose, we might actually come to realize that our dreams are very limited. That there is, in fact, an intelligence that dreams far greater than we dream. But we have to listen to that guidance, you know? Wow, Troy, I literally, I just got teary-eyed in the moment of you saying that because it just, this light bulb went off of like just the purpose of even now like having yeah. this opportunity to sit with you and learn from you just like that's so much purpose in this moment and others that will be able to hear and um, learn from this as well but yeah. it's it's interesting what you say I mean a lot that came to mind is just how distracted we are in this modern age right with so much technology I mean, we have more distraction than you can imagine, of course, right? And I think, you know, in ancient times, I mean, what were they distracted by? I mean, looking at the stars, you know, like they really literally, there was nothing to interrupt their connection to earth, their connection to God, their connection to that voice of the heart. And when you were talking about purpose, I was thinking about as well, how you described the voice of mind being not just our ego, but the ego of you know the collective ego and I think in that a lot of times we're looking for our purpose in other people because of the comparison or is this good enough or yeah I'm not even hearing what my heart may be drawn towards but instead looking for this externalized validation rather yeah. than that recognizing that internal wisdom and when you were describing I thought of too how some people say that the ego, it really looks to protect us, which, you know, can come across in some unhealthy ways for us, whereas the heart in the way that you describe it understands and wants to help us grow. 
So like the ego could get in the way of not wanting to be hurt or uncomfortable where the heart is like, you're strong yeah. enough and you can't. Yeah. So there's so much with what you said that really, really yeah. resonated. And it goes as well, Yolanda, to like, same thing we're saying, the ego is driven by the identity crisis of me being physical form. Right. If my ego thinks I am physical form and, and is overcome by that, naturally, you're right. It's going to do everything it can to preserve my identity, my physical right. form, my emotions. It's going to avoid discomfort at all costs. Yeah. 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 That is amazing. And so now I'm curious about this, like how you have allowed yourself to follow and even construct the life path that you're on now. I mean, to have taken in these practices, interesting how the story began for you, but thinking of from that boy that was in detention, reading these books that was meant to be a joke, right? Yeah. Life is so interesting. And then for you to have been so touched by what it was you were taking in and for this to have evolved to now, you literally teach globally this beautiful wisdom of yoga. So people know as well, you also have online classes available. You have a yoga retreat coming up in September. But look at what that one seed, that moment of purpose <laughs> really expanded into. So I just wanted to ask you about that. I mean, even with all that you've come to understand and where you are now, are you just in awe of like the unfolding of your purpose? Like what is your relationship or feeling around that now? Yeah, um, it's, you know, funny enough, that's what I told you. I just finished my first book, which comes out this year. And I've started writing my second book, which is all around that. Wow. It's all around this um this realization of this interconnectedness that, you know, there's there's an amazing um, quote. I don't ever know if I'm quoting exactly right, but from Jane Goodall, which you would have heard me use in my, my presentation previously, but that asking a question whether we change the world, asking a question if we can change the world, it's the wrong question to ask. Because we actually change the world in everything we do. Every choice and every decision we make shifts energy in some way. And I look back on my life and um, nothing, absolutely nothing to me, Yolanda, was a coincidence. Absolutely nothing. It was all divinely orchestrated. And even when I thought it was all like, a complete mess. It was all crumbling. Um, it wasn't. That was just what I needed to experience at that point in time. And I've even come to realize that sometimes my mistakes, because, you know, I'm human. I don't come in and talk about this stuff like I've it all figured out. And I make that very clear, right? But um, my mistakes, sometimes when I really screw up, which I do sometimes, and I come down on myself because I know I should have known better. I look at the interaction and the exchange in my relationships, and I can see that how much my mistakes just facilitated someone else's growth. 
And that even sometimes when we make mistakes and we screw up, we are really hard on ourselves. But sometimes we're actually just puppets. And there's some kind of divine intelligence that has us on strings and is from time to time, it knows we're listening. So it'll just kind of make us reactive, make us react in a certain way and use us as a tool almost. Because remember, we're not separate. Someone else's growth and transformation is my growth and transformation. And someone else's suffering is my suffering. And um, it's all so very intertwined. So to answer your question, yeah, I look back on it. And you know what's even funnier is I went to university at 17 years old. And I told my dad, my dad has a family business. And I told my dad, Pops. I'm not coming back home to work in a family business. So if you don't want to send me to school, it's cool. Don't. He's like, it doesn't matter to me. I'm going to send you to university. I said, okay, I'm going to major in philosophy and writing. He said, no, you're not. <laughs> you're going to do business. I was like, all right. You know, I had to meet him halfway. So I was like, all right, I'll do business. Um, but it's so funny that 20-something odd years later, I look back at the journey. Um, I've just written a book. I'm now writing book number two. It's all very much philosophy-based. And there's no way, there is no way I could have um, delivered or shared the insights and teachings that I do now without the experience I've had for the last 20-something years. Right. You know, um, it's, it's, just, it's just so so really interesting and recently I've discovered I have this thing where I've realized that we are our relationships like our relationships make us who we are they shape us and they mold us in every possible way that if you we were to receive remove everything around us and we had nothing to be in relationship to well, we won't even exist. Will we even exist? Does consciousness actually exist if there's nothing to be conscious of? You know? Yeah. No, yeah. this is... If only we had 10 days, I feel like if we could just have a retreat just to talk to you, you know? Like, yeah. throw in, yeah, some other elements as well. But that's, that's really fascinating. And you make me think of, too, how a lot of times in our life where we bump against the choices of other people and we're aggravated by it. Whereas, you know, sometimes we can see how sometimes their choice is also supporting our growth. You know, it, it's coming to mind very specifically, like in relationships where one person wants to go, wants to leave and the other person can't let go. And they're so devastated of how could you leave me, you know, but the other person for whatever reason, who knows, whatever it may be, but instead of seeing how that discomfort is also supporting the other person and working through attachment and whatever their fear of losing the person is, like you, to your point, how can you even separate that interconnectedness of our lessons and the yeah. wisdom that comes through all levels of relationships? Yeah, you know, relationship in itself is funny, especially when it comes to romantic relationships. Yeah. Because, you know, as, um, and you stop me when you need to, Yolanda, I could talk for a long time, but I, <laughs> I'll, I'll be back anytime you want to have me back. I love speaking to you. It'd be an absolute honor. I would love to. But with regards to like romantic relationships, you know, I'm a, I'm a man at 
43 years old, single, bachelor, and people like, yo, don't you like, you've had, you've been in amazing relationships. Don't you like want to get married? Of course, I'm open to marriage <laughs> and kids. I would love marriage and kids. But then I ask you a question, what is the purpose of a human experience? Is the purpose of a human experience marriage and kids? Or is the purpose of a human experience growth and transformation? Because if it is growth and transformation, that can be had in, in many beautiful, intimate relationships. No, I'm not diving into monogamy and that kind of no, stuff. No, no, I know what you mean. <laughs> that, just before somebody runs down a whole different avenue with this. I'm it just, can look a lot of different ways. Yeah, I, I'm yeah. just saying that sometimes we, we put even romantic love into a box. Right. And we're so focused on marriage and kids and family that our life revolves around trying to create that. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, we limit our growth and transformation. Yeah. Now, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, you I, just made me think of how so many people, that's a big struggle for them when their parents or people put the expectation of all of that on them and it's yeah. not what they feel called to do. Yeah, absolutely. Now, don't get me wrong. I think it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. My, uh, my mom and dad are luckily still alive and my mom's birthday is today actually. But they've been married for like 53 years. Wow. So, you know, I can't, I can only wish that I could find someone fall madly in love and live happily ever after for the next 50 years. Sure, that would be amazing. Right. Um, but it's just important to, to look and ask ourselves, what do we think is the larger purpose of the human experience if there was one for every individual? Like, for me, the only thing that can possibly make any sense around this experience is that we have come here to learn to love, to, to experience some aspect of growth and transformation. I mean, if, if I one day discovered that this was all like some spiritual vacation and we could, we, we could do whatever we want, you know what, in reality, Yolanda, I would live my life the very same. Because it what it's it's what gives me that sense of purpose of creating something really special in my relationships and any world we live in. That is really beautiful. There's five hundred questions I want to ask you, especially now. I'm like, could you make book number three about relationships in particular? And the reason I'm saying it is because I think a lot of times when we come into whatever path it is that we come into. Um, something that brings us into deeper relationship with ourselves. I've noticed with myself, I went through it, but also um, several people I've met, there comes this time where there's a lot of tension around our relationship to others and what that means in contrast to relationship to ourselves, right? And so that would be interesting if you feel like writing that book as well. I would love to read it. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I have to ask you, um, because we are, we're, you know, I can't keep you all day. But in all of this of what you've done, was it just this natural progression that it, it grew into you teaching people globally? Was there something that you just felt like I have to spread what has helped me 
what drove you to become, you know, the Troy Hadid that we know now? Um, I think a lot of factors, you know, Yolanda. I think I said yes to the right opportunities. Yes. Um, I think I also had a lot of my own teachers that gave me opportunities that I said yes to and helped me get a little bit more exposure. You know, I, I first been on Gaia.com, which I do have a presence on. That gave me massive exposure. I remember going to teach once in Europe and all these people came from so far away. I was like, how do you guys even know who I am? Um, I would love to do a lot more of that international um, teaching. And, and this is what part of this beautiful conversation is, is to get more exposure and reach more people. But I just think that a lot of time we're governed by this fear of not being good enough or not being um, enough at all or not being able to do a job or able to do what we ask. And we always want to stay in this safe and comfortable area of our lives and I think that for me when I'm given the opportunity to step out of that comfort zone and I'm given these amazing opportunities if it feels right to me I take it no matter what in mind says I, I I'm able to see that in mind is writing a narrative in mind is scared I understand why mind is trying to preserve me but I'm here to do work and I want to do God's work. And God is telling me in my heart center, I can feel it. Say yes. Say yes. You know, and sometimes you say yes and you take that step and you have no idea what's going to happen. But one step at a time, it begins to unfold. It begins to unfold. I also like to point out that, you know, I... What I speak a lot about privilege and what it means to own your privilege. And I know when most people hear with privilege, they um, think of race, skin color, financial situation, gender, sexual orientation, all this stuff, right? right. Money. And all of those are extremely essential aspects of privilege. But then there's the privilege of security. There's the privilege of safety. There's the privilege of knowing what love is. And those are privileges that we aren't speaking enough about. They may be all intertwined with the other privileges, sure. But I have always been supported and nurtured and loved by my family and my social circles, even when they could not understand what I was doing and they thought I was an absolute lunatic. And even times when I felt alone, I knew they were always there. They were always there. I just had to get, get my head out of my ass, pick up the phone and call somebody. They were always there for me. And I think when you grew up with that level of safety and security, it's a lot easier to step out of the comfort zone. It's a lot easier to step into the unknown because you haven't lived your life under constant threat. And I think that's a lot of what's happening in our world is that, you know, you saw it with the, with the pandemic that, you know, not to actually let's scrap that. I don't want to talk about <laughs> pandemic at all. 
But if somebody does not feel safe in a system, if they've never felt loved or supported by a system, then how can we expect them ever to, one, trust that system, or two, go beyond their comfort zone for that system or for the collective? How can someone step out of their comfort zone to support a collective that never supported them? You know, and I think from a systematic standpoint, that also has so much to offer, that reflection, you know. It's interesting what you're saying. It reminds me of I recently saw an interview of a, I think he was a priest, but he had done some, you know, philanthropic work in Africa. And he was talking about very specifically how it was interesting, the contrast of the children where he was helping. They grew up knowing that they had their ancestors, their guides, their connection to earth, family, this, this, this. They grew up knowing that they were supported. Forget about whatever conditions they were living in. They grew up knowing that they mattered because they were part of a bigger community. They were part of even the unseen cared for them. And what a difference that did to the psychology of like who they are and how they identify versus here in the West where there's really not we're not taught that. And in fact, in a lot of ways, through religion, we're taught that we're not good enough and lowly, like, you're not, you know, of course. And again, how that would affect the psyche. And so what you're saying, it just reminds me of that as well. I'm imagining, I'm having visions of doing yoga. um, And those moments of feeling connected to just all there is, I mean, just feeling connected to the air that surrounds you and how comforting that is or feeling connected to spirit and how comforting that is. So no matter what our life may be externalized, we start to recognize this bigger connectivity that can feel like a whole different expression of love and support. That's really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, what's funny driving here today, um, Yolanda, what what just came to me is this issue of the fact that they've taken God out of schools, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, when you remove God, and I talk about God loosely, I speak to someone's understanding of God. When you remove the presence of any form of divine agency or intelligence, then you reinforce the individual narrative you reinforce the narrative of separateness and otherness. Um, so no no wonder we have so much people that feel so alone. And, you know, we've said spirit so much times that, and I know you've heard me say this, but the word spirit comes from the Latin word spiritus, which means to breathe, right? And spirit and breath is one thing that connects every living being on the planet. And um, I was just driving here, I was like, wow, how beautiful it would be if rather than removing God from schools and curriculum, that we could actually give people the space to redefine what God means to them. Not to remove it, but just give them a space to decide what their relationship to God looks like. You know? Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, you just made me think of too. There are some I've seen um, some schools now are even implementing, they call it mindfulness training, but implementing and teaching very young kids how to meditate and how to use their breath. I know there was a school in Baltimore years ago where they implemented that instead of detention, funny enough, where they're teaching children how to meditate and they're seeing a change in, you know, grades and behaviors and all of these things. And they can only attribute it back to that connection to spirit or breath of meditation and mindfulness. So I want to make sure everyone knows that how they can work with you directly. I know that you have beyondyogatv.com and that is beyond yoga Trinidad. So can, if we happen to be there, we could do yoga with you in person, but no matter where we are, we can take classes online. Yeah, so every all the listeners are welcome to come to Trinidad, by the way. Okay. Um, we did reopen our studio about a month ago, and I do have a teacher training in Tobago in September, and it's at a really beautiful location, beautiful retreat center. But yes, all our classes are live streamed from our studio at beyondyogatv.com. I do also, so there are other teachers on that platform, but you, you know, you can practice with whoever you connect to. And um, I do also do one-on-one private sessions and coaching and even one-on-one asana classes and really help people, you know, take their practice to a more intimate space, you know? Um, yeah, so they can find me at troyhadi.com or beyondyogatv.com would be our online studio platform. That's amazing. I was literally just saying, and I saw you have... Um yoga all over the place but I was telling a friend of mine because I couldn't find a time of day where a studio was open because I get up very early yeah. and again I, I'm one of those people if I do it I want to do it every day and so I was like I, I'm gonna have to find a way to do it online because they just don't open early enough for when you know I'm in California though so I imagine you all are open early when it's my time we'll see I'm gonna check it out so, yeah. but you also, could you tell us a little more about the yoga teacher training? And just curious, if anyone is listening, do they have to have some experience with yoga or could you come in completely green? No, our my our last teacher training we did last year, we had one or two individuals who had no experience with yoga. And I have to tell you, looking at their transformation was phenomenal. And I would also say, you know, there are a lot of teacher trainings out there. And um, I'm sure a lot of them are really good. But for me, it's important that when someone attends that training, not only are they given the tools to teach and share yoga, but like one of my teachers, Ryan Lair, often says, he says, we don't need more yoga teachers. We need more students of yoga. So it's also a process of very deep emotional work on how can we be better human beings. Yes. And um, I'm not gen- I'm not one that encourages all the flowers and rainbows all the time. Like it's very important that we go into darkness. We look at the areas of our life where we can do better, where in mistakes we made. We look into our pain and our suffering because those are our teachers, you know? So that's what someone can expect from that teacher training is that, sure, they'll get everything else. Yes. But um, they can also expect a life-altering experience as well. That is amazing. And I can 
say when I told you I just felt inspired to go learn how to breathe but my first day of yoga teacher training this was years years ago I didn't know what to expect but what was I was like what did I sign up for because day one people were already in tears crying and I was like what is that what is happening like because I never would have thought that you know yoga would be something that cracks you open in this way but yeah but yeah that sounds amazing I actually saw your site I'm like I want to go I've never been um, to Trinidad. Uh, So everyone can find more information, though, about your online classes, as well as the yoga teacher training, and stay um, informed about when your book will be releasing this year. So if we go to TroyHadid.com, we should sign up for the newsletter, get all of the updates on everything, and also go to BeyondYogaTV.com so that we can take your amazing classes. Yeah, absolutely. And if anyone has any questions, Yolanda, I'm open. They can reach out to me. If I don't reply, reach out to me again because life gets busy. (laughs) Um, And, you know, anything, any any way I could facilitate someone's journey. And if anybody wants to do one-on-one sessions, they can reach out to me. And if they just reference your podcast and your show, they will get 20% off. Oh, oh, that is so generous. Time. That yeah. is so generous. Thank you so much. Yeah, and I'll definitely make sure that's in the show description. And I also want to tell people too to definitely go to your YouTube channel and watch that presentation that I saw. I mean, it was just amazing. I'm so glad that we're able to view that publicly. So yeah. I would recommend they watch that as well. Yeah. yeah. But it was so help? nice to meet you, Troy. Same, Yolanda. Same. It really was an honor. And I would love to come back. So Please anytime. come back. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. going to say, there are so many things that we touched on, but would love to go in deeper with you. So I would love yeah. to be honored to have you come back again. And to everyone else, be sure to go down in the show description and click on the links to connect with Troy Hadid, troyhadid.com. And we will see you very soon. Love. Okay, beautiful alchemist. I hope that you enjoyed that beautiful conversation with Troy. I really did. And if you want to join him in Tobago for the beautiful yoga teacher training, don't forget you can learn more about that on his website at troyhadid.com. That's troyhadid, H-A-D-E-E-D.com. That is taking place in September, 2023. You can also go to his website, beyondyogatv.com and do daily yoga practices. Um, Take some yoga classes from there. I hope to tune in to do that as well. But I just want to say, I mean, these have been such amazing conversations. I'm so thankful for every guest who comes to share their work, their wisdom, their insights with us, because we do learn and grow and exchange. And if you want to have a discussion with me after the show, let's talk about these episodes. Let's talk about what's come up for you. Or even if you just want to share with me what's coming up around your Reiki practice, if you even have any questions for me about Reiki itself. You can join me for the Reiki Radio Roundtable discussions on Tuesdays at 4 p.m. Pacific, which is 7 p.m. Eastern. And you can get the link for that by downloading the Energetic Alchemist app. You can find it in your Apple App Store or on Google Play. Just put in the search for the Energetic Alchemist and download the app. 
I can't wait to chat with you all live, see what is coming up for you. Again, don't forget to go to troyhadi.com and learn more about his work there. So I hope that you have a gorgeous, gorgeous day, beautiful alchemist, and remember to always journey in love.